with pleasure and honor the second of our two closing keynote sessions here at the 2014 Texas Tribune Festival, a conversation with the 47th governor of Texas, Rick Perry. The longest-serving chief executive in the state's history, Governor Perry leaves office this January, more than 14 years after taking the baton from George W. Bush and is contemplating a second run for president. He formerly served as the first Republican lieutenant governor since Reconstruction, as agriculture commissioner, and back when he was a Democrat, as a member of the Texas House of Representatives. A native of Paint Creek, a graduate of Texas A&M University, he spent five years in the United States Air Force. Please join me in welcoming Governor Rick Perry. There he is. Yeah. Thank you, Governor. How are you? I appreciate it. So okay. where would you like me? I would love you over there. Okay. We had a little dance two years ago, inside joke. I get yeah. to sit in my seat this By year. By the way, substantially good. shorter introduction this year than last you time. You made me. You, you got so good. tired of my instruction, you wandered out in the middle of it. That was good. And he tried to make me sit over here on the left, and I, I told him I don't fit in the left I don't work well. well on the left, he said. Uh, anyway. Governor, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Good to see you. You too. Uh, when I approached your staff a few months ago, I said I wanted to interview Governor Perry for the closing session because I thought we would do an exit interview. <laughs> And I thought we would do an entrance interview. Yeah. But in the interim, something else happened. The indictments happened, and I feel uh, they'll take my press card away from me if I don't ask you a question or yeah. two or three about the status of the situation with uh, the Travis County DA's office, best prosecutor, all that. Uh, leaving aside the merits of the... I know there's a limit to how much you can talk about about the substance of it. But You'll leaving, be surprised what the limit of that is. I, I, well, I may not be. <laughs> leaving aside the merits of the, of the case... Tell me why a portion of your attorney's fees are being paid by taxpayers. You decided to pay a good portion by campaign funds. Mm -hmm. Why are you paying still a portion uh, uh, through taxpayer dollars? Yeah. You know, I, I think, and again, this is going to be a, a bit of a, a broken record for you, uh, but that issue has been uh, probably is reported on as much as anything that I've ever done in my, in my public life. I mean pick up uh, the paper and it's still being reported on. Uh, and everything's been said about it that uh, I'm going to say about it. I mean, it's, I've, it's in the hands of the lawyers now, and they're taking care of the, uh, the, the appropriately taking care of the, uh, of, of the issues, and it's going to go through the process, and we're going to get an answer, yeah. hopefully sooner rather than later. You're attempting to have the case kicked. Uh, the lawyers are, are doing their job. So, right. you know, I've, I've pretty much done mine, so yeah. it's in their hands now. And I'm going to leave it there. So I think everything's been, everything that I am, am going to say about the, uh, uh, about the activities are pretty much done. So, the, but the legal fees question, of course, as you know, Governor, that's not an issue in the indictments. That's simply a matter right. of process and I understand, and I think, we, but we've addressed it. I mean, everything has been said about that, and I'll refer you back to the press reports about it that... Uh, were appropriately taken care of. So if I ask you about the decision to continue to get D.A. Lemberg out after the veto or whether your staff approached her with the possibility of another job after the veto, you're not going to talk to me about this. I would tell you that it's already been addressed and uh, I'm right. not going to be adding anything new to it because there's nothing new to add to it. I understand you can only answer the way that you can answer, but I've got to, yes, I've got to ask. I've got one more. I so, know. Uh, He's I, good. I have one more. So while you're trying to get this case kicked, Governor, it seems like you're trying it in a court of public opinion. And you've been quite successful in the last couple of weeks of making Rosemary Lemberg the issue. You've turned her, in fact, into Hannibal Lemberg in many respects in the way that you've presented her to the public. 
Um, this is a case that, from my standpoint, appears to be a special prosecutor appointed by a Republican judge. I don't see what D.A. Lemberg has to do with the indictment, leaving aside her other issues. Can you comment at all on her involvement in the indictment versus the... Are you going to talk to me about this stuff at all? No. No? <laughs> if I just sit here and stare at you, you're not going to answer me? It'll be a long hour. It will be. It's long already, Governor. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I had right. a date like that once. Did you? <laughs> this, this date is going to go considerably worse, I have to tell you. Okay. All right. Um, I've, I've worked this to a fair deal well. Let's talk about the 14 years, because you're not going to give me anything on the indictments. Let's talk about the 14 years. You, you have first and foremost talked out in the world about the economic record of the state since you've been governor. That's, that is a point of pride for you. You talk about job creation. Uh, you've talked about the healthy economy, the low unemployment rate. Is that going to be the big legacy piece when the history of your administration is written? That'll be in the first paragraph. By the way, um, you and I have been doing our respective jobs for about the same Almost exactly the same time. Yeah. That's true. Yes, so sir. I was just thinking about that as we were, we were walking in. Well, I think it's the, a good the state point. at least created one and job, mine. That's yes, exactly sir. right. Uh, so, so tell me about the economy yeah. as it relates to the beginning of your legacy yeah. piece. I think there is a very broad mosaic that can be written about the last 14 years. And I don't think it's going to be uh, necessarily about me. I think I'm a, I'm a part of it. I'm a part of a, uh, of a very broad uh, tapestry, if you will, that's been um, created over the course of those 14 years. I've had some good partners, yep. uh, David Dewhurst and uh, Tom Craddock, Joe Strauss, a lot of members of the legislature, and, and the public sector. I mean, it's played a, you know, frankly, this public sector has played the most important role. We just set some um, policies into place, tax policies, regulatory policies, uh, legal policies, yep. um, you know, the skilled workforce uh, side of this, the educational policies have been put in place. And all of those collectively are, I think, what have painted this picture for 14 years and, and that will we'll go forward for, I hope, lots of years into the future. When, when I think about who are the people that we really impacted, uh, I think about the young Hispanic who, you know, maybe six years ago didn't have a job, was down in Fremont, Texas, and, uh, because of the policies that have been put in place, because of innovation that's occurred in the state of Texas, and I'm talking about George Mitchell and hydraulic fracturing, uh, and that that young man today is making $100,000 a year working in the oil fields in South Texas, and he and his family, uh, he may have quit high school at 16 years old and uh, got married and had a child on the way, and uh, the future didn't look particularly bright for him from an economic standpoint. But today, it's, it's, it's amazingly bright. They're living in a new three-bedroom, two-bath yeah. home. He's driving a new Tundra pickup truck, because those are made in San Antonio. I was about to say, product yeah. placement, that's right, yeah. 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 And uh, he and his wife are talking about where the kids are going to go to college. So this is, this is the, the sort of manifestation of all that work, is that individual story replicated all over, yes, all over the state. So the co commonly what is quoted, and I'm going to try to do this statistically correct, I may fudge or get it wrong a little bit, more jobs, more jobs created over the 14 years when you consider net job growth in the states than the other 49 states combined. I don't know whether that's still accurate today. But if, that has been... At one time back over the course of the last that was two the case. years, that was accurate. Right. So the, a, a third of all of the private sector jobs that have been created in America 
during yeah. that period of time have been in Texas. Right. The, the, the unemployment rate, according to Friday, ticked up a little bit. I think it's at 5.3 now, yeah. but it's still almost a full point below the national unemployment rate. And we created jobs, more jobs than any other state. That's kind of an interesting... You brought a chart. I did. <laughs> Good for the live stream. And here, and, and I think if there's a chart that can tell a story as well as anything, this right. is it. These are all of the jobs that have been created since 2000 in America. The blue line are the jobs that have been created in Texas. The red graph yeah. are the United States job creation minus Texas. And these are the different quartiles, right. lowest quartile, mid-quartiles, high-quartile of jobs and from, a, from a wage standpoint. Yeah. If you took the jobs that Texas has made in the mid wage quartiles, those two, America would still be a net negative. So the, the, the point is, what we've yep. done here is really I didn't expect you to go all Ross Perot on me. Actually. I know, I mean, but it was... It's okay, it's fine. Yeah. But everybody knows what that meant. Well, well, well I mean, look, and the fact is you bring up the question of wages because, you know, you can look at statistics anyway to come up with any conclusion yep. that you want. I read earlier this year that Texas was now second behind Idaho in minimum wage jobs, that we were ninth, according to one measure, in income inequality. So those who wish to yeah. shoot holes at the economic record presumably have some ammo. Right? Ninety-five percent of the jobs created in Texas during that period of time are above minimum wage. And, and listen, yeah. minimum wage jobs, nobody, you didn't get your start at the corner office. Uh, and, and moving up and out, is the, is, that's what our goal is. And so those that would criticize, I, I, just, I just think it's really important for us to, to look, at, look at this chart and realize that those mid-wage jobs and those, the, the biggest growth here is in the high wage. Is in the, the high, high wage, wage job area. Right. So, uh, you know, I You would respectfully disagree. I do. I, I know. I don't even respectfully disagree. You disrespectfully disagree. powerfully disagree. <laughs> yeah. that, um, you, uh, mentioned, you mentioned certain conditions that have come into being some preceded you, but many have happened on your watch. And you talk about them typically as a group, almost no punctuation, you know, uh, predictable regulation, tort reform, low taxes. A few right? commas in there. A few commas. Um, those have been important to the sale that you've made when you travel around the country pickpocketing businesses from other states, as you've become so, so happy to do. But I also think about the incentive programs that you've put in place that have attracted business here. And I'm curious to know if at the end of your 14 years you feel like the incentive landscape in Texas is what it ought to be. Senator Davis was up here yesterday saying, I think we've got to keep the incentives. I think we need more oversight. I think we need more transparency, but I think we've got to keep them. In the morning, I had Senator Dan Patrick, who you know, an ally of yours on so many issues, who as lieutenant governor candidate for the Republicans is calling for the complete elimination of the incentive program. So you're with Wendy Davis or Wendy Davis with you, but Dan Patrick is not with you on that. Can you explain where, where we should be on incentives? Yeah. Um, I think for that um, decade through the 2000s, and we became very, very good at economic development in the state. It took a while. We weren't. Uh, when Boeing was deciding in 2001 uh, to move their corporate headquarters, they chose Chicago rather than uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. Right. And interesting, one of the more powerful reasons that they chose that, uh, well, a number of reasons, but one of them was because they didn't think the cultural arts were as expansive in Dallas-Fort Worth as they were in Chicago. And 
Over the last 10 years, the cultural arts have exploded in this state. Fort Worth's got a new museum of modern art. The Kimball's expanded greatly. Uh, the Bass has built one of the finest symphony right. halls in the world. Two performing arts facilities in Dallas. Nasher's Culture I mean, Center, right. whole thing. I mean, American Film Institute moved there. The 68-acre cultural arts district in Dallas now. This little government university town that we're in, Long Center of Performing Arts, uh, what they've done at the Topfer, uh, the Blanton. Blanton Museum. I mean, South by Southwest, 1st of November, the Formula One race, the American Grand Prix. And in Houston, Texas tonight, more theater seats available yeah. than any other city in America outside of New York City. That's happened in a decade. I'll suggest to you it's happened because we've become very good at economic development. Right. Those incentive programs were part of that. Now, the question is, do these incentive programs need to go on for perpetuity? I think it's a good conversation. It's a legitimate to topic of conversation. Absolutely. Right. And I agree that uh, the legislature, when they meet in January, right. should bring it up, have the conversation, and let it live or die on its own. And those who say, Governor, that incentive programs managed well, like anything, can be managed well or poorly. Incentive programs that are managed well, we like. But ones in which it looks like corners are cut, favors are done, donors are rewarded. There was some really great reporting in the Houston Chronicle, uh, San Antonio Express News, Hearst papers this last week by Nolan Hicks about the Formula One deal that was cut with the state. Some question as to whether the procedure was properly followed. Uh, do you have any concerns that in some cases maybe these incentive programs have opened the door to, we don't know what happened in that case, don't yet know, but do you have a concern that in some instances these incentive programs have opened the door to this kind of um, bad behavior or I back think, channels? I think, it, I think transparency and those types of uh, affairs are important. and uh, So you would call for more transparency than there is now? I, I think transparency is important. I think the legislature will have a thoughtful, open conversation about this. And if there needs to be changes, they will put them into place. We looked at these programs yes. every year mm -hmm. for from 2003 forward. Every two years, they came under scrutiny. Questions were asked. The legislature had the ability uh, to say we're for it. We're against it. We need to change it. And I, I think that's, I think they've served us well. Uh, and that again. remains the case going into the next session. It's up to them if they want to do sure. something about it. Sure. I think if they want to change them, if they want to unilaterally get out right. of the uh, economic development business, that's their call. But I, I will suggest that over the course of the last decade, since yeah. 2003, we have been successful in a lot of uh, major projects. And, and small projects. I mean, I'm going to be in Brownsville, south of Brownsville actually, about as far south as you can get in Texas uh, tomorrow with Elon Musk as we are groundbreaking for SpaceX, the launch facility. Yep. And uh, when you think about XCOR being in Midland, Blue Origin being out in West Texas, uh, what they're doing, SpaceX up at McGregor, yep. the future of space travel is in Texas. Appropriately, and so. that happened. Incentives contributed to that. Yes, sir. They Almost did. all of those. Let well, me, not Blue Origin, but, but, not, but, not but I mean SpaceX specifically and XCOR. And XCOR. Yeah. Yes, Let sir. me ask you about education. Let me read back a quote to you from January of 2013, Governor Perry. Quote: This is me. Is you? I think under any scenario over the last decade, the funding that we have seen in the state of Texas for public education has been pretty phenomenal. Those were your words, correct? Mm -hmm. Fellow named Dietz here in Austin might have a different point of view about that. Fellow named Dietz and I have a lot of different points of view. Is that so? Okay. 
This is the point at which you remind me he's an Austin judge, right? Okay. Um, Just say it. Do, do, do you believe, really, as you look back over the 14 years, that we have done right by the public education system from the standpoint of funding? Yes, sir. You do. Do. Can you explain that, please? Yeah. Um, because I don't judge progress uh, by how many dollars you spend. Okay. And I think we have appropriately, uh, fairly, uh, adequately yeah. funded uh, public education, K through 16. Uh, so you I, would include higher ed in that bucket. There are some higher ed people who probably have their own questions and, about and whether listen, funding I is know adequate. That. I know that. That's, that's the reason uh, we meet every two years to have these conversations, and we go back and forth, and, and uh, uh, we discuss the priorities in the state. I look at results, yeah. and, 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 and money uh, is not uh, the be-all to end-all from the standpoint of results. I mean, you can go across the country and find substantial uh, places where they outspend us substantially. Right. But we perform better. So, so, so and, judge, judge it by the results. Do you think the quality of Texas public schools... Well, let me ask you, Evan. Yeah. In the National uh, Assessment of Educational Progress, right. the NAEP score, I mean, that's kind of the gold standard, if you will, to test... Uh, and to find out whether is Texas doing as well as Connecticut or Rhode Island or Massachusetts or Oklahoma. That's a national test that we fourth and eighth graders take. In 2003, we were 33rd in the nation. By 2011, we had, we had, uh, we had improved enough that we were number 10 in the nation. What that tells me is that in the future, we've had a 118% increase of Hispanic participation in higher ed. We've had a 228% increase in Hispanic students who have received their degrees since I became governor. That's the real story. It's the young men and women's lives who have been changed forever because we have helped them right. access and have, have the ability to afford to go to an institution of higher learning. Yeah. That is, that's the result that I'm looking for. It's not, you know... Here's how many dollars you've spent per head. Fair, fair. And, and I think that's what all too often, I think it's simplistic to say uh, you're not spending enough money. Not spending enough money compared to what? And what's the result that you're getting? Oh. I, I suggest the result is pretty hard to argue. When you look at the number of kids that are going to college today whose lives are better, and then the economy, when you add the right. economy to this so that they have a job when they get out of school. Right. That's the real test. That's the real result that we ought to be talking Let about. Let me come to the second part of that, getting them out of school and getting them into the workforce in a second. I will stipulate those statistics you cited are good, but there are critics of those statistics and critics who cite other statistics who say, if you look at where Texas fits nationally in terms of the quality of public education, it's kind of middle of the pack. You are not a middle of the pack guy. You don't like middle of the pack. Why are we not doing better? We like to be first in everything. What has been the obstacle to being best in the country in public education? I think the progress that we've made, I mean, the idea that we, we take a snapshot and say, here's where we are, uh, and then that somehow, what's, what's our trajectory? You think it's all about the progress I th journey? Well, I do think it's about the journey. I, think yeah. the, I mean, when the next governor, the next lieutenant governor, and the next, uh, you know, I hope that we've challenged them to do better. Yeah. I hope that we've put uh, a, a marker in place and say, you know, from 2000 to 2013, uh, through 2014, we've made this progress. Uh, are there things that you all need to change? Yeah. I would suggest they probably are not just going to come in and, and spend 140 days and rubber stamp what we've done in the past and right. go, go back home. They'll, and that's a good progress. I mean, I think that's the, that 
is the beauty of the system we've got in Texas. Right. Um, so. Let me talk to you about the higher ed performance since you brought that up. So we did a, a, a project this year studying uh, a cohort of eighth grade students entering Texas public schools in 2001, 300,000 students. And we tracked them for 11 years to see their higher ed progress. This period corresponds entirely within your time as mm-hmm. governor. So they enter in 2001, and we look at them 11 years out and say, how many of them have achieved some kind of higher ed certificate? It was fewer than one in five. It was 19 point something percent of all eighth graders who entered Texas public schools in 01, 11 years out had some kind of higher ed certificate. For, Latin, uh, for uh, African-Americans and Latinos, it was one in 10, not one in five. What have we done wrong over the last 11 years that we can't get more kids in and properly out of higher ed? But again, you, I, I will suggest, you know, statistics, you can do anything you want with them. Well, right? you shoot, I shoot holes in yours, you're welcome to shoot right. holes in mine. That's and fine. my point is, when we look at the increase, and when I talk about the increase, those 228% increase yeah. of Hispanic students who are, have received a degree, right. you know, we have now moved to the second highest graduation rate in America. In high school graduation. In high school graduation. Again, you know, a controversial statistic itself. And, and well, I think, I'm pretty sure every damn statistic you're going to talk about today is going to be controversial. Well, <laughs> let's just accept that, okay. Governor. Good. That, that you are going to make them controversial. But my point yeah. is this. We are now, with, with those controversial, uh, as you would call them, we're at second right. in the nation. We are headed in the right direction. When you go back to 2000 and you add where we were, right. where we are in 2014, then yeah, you know, your, yours may be right. I don't yeah. know that. I mean, that to my mind, I don't want to overblow this, but the, I, I, this looks like a college completion crisis in this state if we're only getting one out of every five kids, and in some if cases... If that's the only thing ten. you look at, you know, yeah. you might be, you know, you might be onto something, but I'll suggest right. to you that's not the only thing you look at, and does a, a, a certificate or does a graduation from higher education, right. is that really the most important thing that we have to do in this state? And and I'll leave that to, to the individuals or to others to, say. To, to decide whether it's or not. Right. My point is, is if a young person in Texas does not want to go to an institution of higher learning, have we created an environment out there where they can take care of their family? And I will suggest to you the answer to that is yes. Yeah. And we've done it by creating this climate with tax policy, regulatory policy, with legal policies, with skilled workforce, so that young men and women can find that job to take care of their family, the dignity of having a job. Now, I think it's important for young people to move up, to uh, get a certificate, or to get that next level of learning. We all know that makes sense and that's smart. And how are we going to, as we go forward, I mean, what's the challenge for the Texas legislature to come up with uh, new and and, uh, thoughtful ways to compress the amount of time that they have to spend getting that certificate, like things we did for veterans. We yep. passed programs here where veterans got credit for what they learned in the military, and so they could very quickly get a, uh, you know, a nursing degree or a medical technology degree or into a four-year institution where they didn't have to spend so much time in school. So all of those things, I think, put Texas on, on right. the proper path or where we, or where we need to be. I don't think so at all. But again, it's the journey. It's the journey. Well, you've also worked hard to reform higher ed from the standpoint of affordability. That's been one of the hallmarks Mm -hmm. of your time in office. Uh, In fact, the last three and a half years, we have been engaged in a very deep conversation about almost every aspect of the way 
universities are run, systems are administrated from cost to governance. And on the governance end, uh, you, you, you know uh, your appointed regent, Wallace Hall, uh, was just censured by the legislature. He takes it as vindication that nothing else has happened, and he is unbound by all this. He is going to continue to do, he says, what he does. In fact, he told me recently that he intends for this to, to just sort of propel him forward and do more of the kind of stuff he's done. You feel like he's been vindicated? I don't know whether process? he's been vindicated or not. I support the uh, appointees that I've put in place, by and large, for asking hard questions. And I, yeah. don't, I don't think we should be uh, afraid to uh, uh, ask difficult questions, whether we're on a board of regents of a university or whether we're, um, you know, a... Uh, 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 the state medical board. I mean, right. All of those are appropriate. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, vindication. I didn't will expect, be left you, as Governor. I didn't expect you to hedge. But, but, but I mean, what's there to hedge about? I'm I'm supportive of Wallace Hall and right. what he's doing. I mean, I've said that multiple times, and I think at the yeah. end of the day, <clears throat> it's. The, it's, we're in a journey right now. Right. What's the result of that journey is going to be? And I don't know what that is. Speaker Strauss yesterday said he's sick of all the drama over the UT well, I'm sure there's a lot of people sick of all the drama. So do you, should the legislature just drop it, disband that whole transparency effort and the oversight of the regents well, and just move on? I, that's their call. Um, but surely I, you have an opinion. Oh, that's their call about whether or not they... I mean, I will suggest to you that the, the Texas legislature, and the Texas Senate in particular, because they have the oversight of whether or not a nominee is going to uh, be confirmed or not, they're going to continue to do their process. But, you know, do, do they want to... Uh, I mean, do they want to set up a committee and try to impeach a, uh, a, a, a member of, of a Board of Regents? I, I don't think that's particularly constructive, frankly. I think that has been a distraction. I think uh, let... Let the, let the Board of Regents, let the board members that they confirm do their job. You know, we have three branches of government. So this is a separation of powers deal. I happen to think it is. I think, you, you know, you let the legislature do their job for 140 days. Our founding fathers were very brilliant, I think, in allowing them to only come in for 140 days. Uh, other states would probably be well served by that if they had that model. And then go home and live under the laws that they passed. That, that has worked that, really well. That's how well. that goes. Have you adequately, you, by, me, by which I don't mean you so much as the royal you, you in the sense of the 14 years of your administration, adequately invested in infrastructure? We are in the most booming economy. You're perfectly happy to, to take uh, a pride in the strength of our economy. We're in the most booming economic times you can imagine, and yet we couldn't fund transportation and water investment last session out of general revenue. We had to break open the piggy bank to do that. I mean, I, I wonder if, have we adequately uh, uh, taken care of investing in our future from the standpoint of infrastructure? Well, I think adequately is probably a Well, you term of, then you define adequately by your definition. Tell me what adequately I, is. I, I wanted to uh, fund with general revenue, as you will recall, yes. uh, transportation infrastructure. You did. Uh, I was very involved with helping create the uh, constitutional amendment last November yes. to fund water uh, infrastructure, and that's occurring now, and I think we have adequately put in place. Yeah. Uh, as the state goes forward, it's going to be about $1.7 billion more dollars. I hope the uh, public, and I think the public will overwhelmingly support the constitutional right. amendment that we have coming up in 45 days. So... 
the growth in this state is a two-edged sword. It's a very good thing that we have the growth that's going on. I would suggest uh, legislatures and governors and economic development people in other states would love to have the challenge that we have of good over 1,000 people right. a day moving into your state. Right. But, um, but you recognize it strains the resources that we have. Those 1,000 people aren't bringing water with them or health care with them or asphalt with them, right? The resources we have are limited. Like the bumper sticker I saw going to South Austin yesterday that said, go to Fort Worth or Dallas. <laughs> well, at least they're not saying go to Sacramento, right? You don't see that bumper sticker very often. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those are good challenges to have. I think we have, uh, I think we have appropriately addressed them. Uh, 6,600, I think, new lane. We built more lane miles than any other state in the nation over the course of Right. Uh, of my time as governor. So, but do we have a challenge? Yes, but they're good challenges to right. have. Is uh, the solution water, to transportation going to be tolls? Is that where we're headed, that's G- more, given the economics of this? There are three, there are three ways to build roads. Yeah. Or, I, I jokingly tell people there are three options. <laughs> Let's see if you remember tax, them. Yeah. Tax roads. Yes. Toll roads and the asphalt ferry. And the asphalt ferry. Yes, sir. Yeah. You believe so, in the asphalt uh, ferry? I don't. <laughs> so anyway, that's yeah. the, um, the, 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 I mean, seriously, it's expensive to build roads. So we're either going to build them with tax dollars right. or we're going to build them with tow. We've taken a, uh, both of those together and put them into place and a lot of different options. One of the things I think it's important for these, you know, we've given local uh, entities the ability to come up with some of the solutions, uh, these regional mobility authorities and those types of things where they can address their um, transportation needs. Yep. Uh, and, you know, you know me, I'm a big believer in the Tenth Amendment, uh, and Texas generally will come up with better solutions to the challenges that we face as a state than some in Washington, D.C. Yes. Uh, and, and I believe that also at, at the state level is that you really need to give the local folks uh, more input into these types of decisions. Lo- local control on transportation stuff has been a, mi- a matter of no small controversy, you know, over the last I understand. Years. But, you know, as best I can tell, the Tenth Amendment is kind of controversial now in Washington, that's, D.C. That's a core principle for you. Yeah. So that's it. Let me ask you about health care. I want to read you from an editorial in the Beaumont Enterprise this week on the health care situation in Texas. Quote, it's time for Texas Republicans to put pragmatism ahead of politics, said the editorial, which went on to suggest that we should expand Medicaid. I will use your parlance to say Beaumont is not exactly the blueberry in the tomato soup. If the Beaumont enterprise is editorializing, if Beaumont is saying expand Medicaid, we're going to have 5.7 million. Well, we right now have 5.7 million people without health insurance, according to the numbers that came out last week. You will leave office with some number north of 5 million people without health insurance. Are you comfortable that you've done everything you can, that we've done everything we can as a state? Yeah, I think we've done everything that we could do within our power. Um, and, and part of that is because we have been restricted uh, with what we can put into place because of federal regulations. And, and again, this goes back to... Um, you pointed out that I'm a very strong supporter of the Tenth Amendment, and yeah. I am. Uh, and I've, I've asked Washington multiple times for more flexibility in being able to deal with the issue of, uh, of health care and how we would receive the money from Washington, D.C., and then re, uh, uh, 
restructure these programs so that more people could have access. And in 2009, President Obama said that Medicaid was broken. And I agree with him. It is a broken system. And so why would we want to expand a broken system? Um, and I, I've asked for flexibility yeah. multiple times, and I think it's very important that governors and legislators in the private sector working together would come up with substantially better ways to deliver health care if we had that, uh, had that flexibility. We would have health savings accounts. We would have a host of different ways to deliver health care. Um, but you don't, or let me put it this way, I don't. I don't count uh, the success of health care is just because you are covered. It's access to health care. And one of the things that we did in 2003 to really increase the access of health care in the state was to pass very sweeping tort, tort reform. reform. Yeah. So you remember, I mean, there were a, a, a pregnant female in the 19 counties along the Rio Grande prior to 2003 because the, they'd been sued so often that uh, uh, those prenatal care yeah. specialists had left. And a, and a pregnant female had to leave to go get her health care. If you were a mom who had your, your child fall off the bicycle in, in uh, Cameron County and had a closed head injury, you probably had to go to San Antonio or Corpus Christi to find a neurologist. Now there are doctors in those places. There are doctors in those places. But, of course, once you get into the doctor's office, they expect you to pay them. And the question is, for the people who don't have health insurance, what's ultimately happening, as you know, uh, Governor, because you hear from county judges around the state, People are showing up at hospitals, they're being treated, those uncompensated care costs are going up, and it's being passed along to citizens in the form of higher property taxes. You're a low-tax guy. Property taxes are going up because of having to eat these costs. So wouldn't fixing health care be a great way to accomplish your goal of lower taxes? Well, I think, again, the, this is in the def definition of how do you fix health care. Yeah. I happen to think one of the ways you fix health care is to get Washington out of the, the regulatory side of it, and here's the strings that are all attached, and to allow the states to come up. Just like you know, expansion of, of these federally qualified health clinics that we did over the course of the last uh, 14 years. I mean, yeah. making access to health care is the real, uh, I think, the real challenge here, not government-forced insurance, because we're, we're, we're seeing... You know, I tell people, and this is a very powerful visual, if you like government-run health care, if you want to see government-run health care, go ask a veteran. Look at the VA. And the VA was a debacle. And I'll suggest to you that one of the ways that the, the, the VA is going to address the challenges it has is to make a substantial amount of what they've historically been doing or they're supposed to be doing go to the private sector. Private sector. Governor, what have you done wrong in the last 14 years? Be self-aware. We're all flawed. We're all flawed, right? You know, Ty Cobb only hit 400, you know, so you don't, you don't hit him every time. So be self-aware and tell me one thing or two things or three things that you consider to have been, you pick, that you consider to have been misses over the last 14, things you wish you had back. Three is a bit of a stretch for me. All right. <laughs> That's going to be the video on all the things after this. Pretty thing. sure. Tell, tell me, give, I mean, name, name something or some things that you think, I wish I could have this back. Um, 
You know, I, I, the, 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 there's a number of things. I mean, we don't do anything perfect over there. I mean, there, we've had, uh, you know, we've had some things that we push forward and, and uh, may have had, may have had my, uh, my heart in the right place. May not have had my head in the right place. Just so, just be specific about um, something. I think about, um, I think about the uh, very powerful issue of the human papilloma virus, and the HPV, uh, that I used an executive order to, uh, um, although there was an opt-out. Expressed regret about having done that in the 2012 presidential race. I would have, I would have done it differently. I would have had an, I would have engaged the public more. Um, uh, I, I, thought the, I thought the public understood the importance of this from the standpoint of, uh, of, a, of a cancer that's taken lives of, of yeah. young women um, and, uh, for that matter, young men. Was the choice wrong or was the execution of it wrong? Uh, the execution was wrong. As I said, it was, yeah. it was, I was thinking with How my heart instead of with my head, knowing that uh, the people of the state of Texas, by and large, want to be engaged in, in, yeah. in conversations. We're not real big... Um, executive order types here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anything else come to mind specifically that you want to mention? No, I think one's enough. One's enough, okay. <laughs> are you enthusiastic about the thought of Greg Abbott succeeding you? I think you are. You've indicated sure. as such, yeah. right? I think it would be awesome. The people who say Greg Abbott is running for Rick Perry's fifth term, <laughs> that there are not material differences between Greg Abbott and Rick Perry, true or false? Uh, listen, we're all very different people. I mean, I think I heard that same thing um, about George Bush, Rick Perry, and uh, we're different people. I mean, I'd, I admire George W. greatly. I admire Greg Abbott right. greatly, but we're different people. We're going to have different. Uh, um, we're going to have different focuses, different things. That, yeah. And and governorships, I have found, um, although I've served a substantially longer period of time than other governors. Your governorships get, uh, from my perspective, is that they get defined by events that occur. Um, one, of the, one of the most alarming events for me, and, and frankly depressing events for me as a governor, was an early morning phone call from the head of the emergency management division in the state. And a hurricane that was in the Gulf Coast had moved, and the projection was for it to come up the Houston Ship Channel as a Category 5 storm. This was a 4.35 o'clock in the morning phone call. And I knew at that moment, because I'd seen the models, over a million Texans, not flooded out, not displaced, dead. And that was a very chilling moment for me as governor, realizing that we had to move those people out of harm's way and knowing that the chance of being totally successful yeah. was going to be um, a high probability of not success. So you're defined sometimes by events. You're defined by events right. that you may not ever see coming. The Queen Isabella Causeway that was hit by a barge and knocked yeah. down. The Columbia, uh, the, the space Explosion, right. shuttle yeah. that fell out of the sky. Uh, I mean, events that you have no 
you can prepare for them. And we've actually done an incredible job of being able to prepare for events in this state. Right. Jack Colley, God rest his soul, uh, who is our emergency management uh, director, and, and now Nim Kidd, who's there, who studied under him, Steve McCraw. Um, all of these events you're going to be... Um, you're going to be defined by. And so philosophically, you are who you are, and you're going to implement programs that are philosophically, but by and large, the definition of who you are right. is going to be by events that are... So we don't know what kind of governor Greg Abbott will be yet, because to some degree, the events that will shape his time That's in right. office, or, or Wendy Davis, we don't know what kind of governor she'd be, because the events that would shape her time in office. Right? My bet is you may never know the latter. Is that so? <laughs> you're going to call that race, Governor? Are you? Your words. Um, if you were running to be the guy to succeed Rick Perry, what would you do? Are there things you'd change, or would you just basically, you know, dust off the mantle and be sure that the light bulbs all work? What would you, if you put yourself in the position of succeeding yourself? Where's the opportunity, whoever the next governor is, to build on your legacy or to do things differently? Well, if, if there was something that really... If there was something that really inspired me that needed to be done, yeah. I would have run for re-election. So you think the work, his, my work is done here? That's it. My work is done here. But, but my point this is... This is an incredibly uh, There's nothing left unfinished, thing. I guess, that the next governor is going to have to figure out how to finish. Not from my perspective of the things that I'm, I'm passionate about. Right. Uh, you know, we all have... We, we all have different interests. We all have yep. different uh, focuses. Right. You know, the, the, the things that matter in this state, yes. transportation, infrastructure, water, uh, power, right. uh, those are all headed in the right directions. Now, does that mean that um, there, there aren't going to be challenges? The state's going to have to be managed? Of course. Of course. When are you announcing for president? Not today. Not today. <laughs> We've known each other for so long. You couldn't give me this one thing. Are you running? I mean, to tell me if the answer is not today, what you didn't say is, what are you talking about? So are you running? I don't know. I'll make that decision, as I've said, multiple times. Oh, you know. Come on. Oh, you know. Come on. You know. Sometime in 2015. You will announce your intentions sometime in 2015. Yes, sir. You honestly want me to believe that you've not made up your mind? I honestly want you to believe that. Really? So... You want, you want me, I'm not saying I do believe it, but um, so surrounding yourself with former Mitt Romney advisors and going to candidate school and traveling to Iowa just because the corn is nice this time of the year, all that, I'm not to take this as an outward sign that you are running for president? It is amazing how much corn there is in Iowa. I bet it is. And on this stage also. Um, <laughs> no. What, what? What is on this stage is a byproduct of corn. Yes, okay, that's better said. Um, what is the calculation, Governor? What is the calculation that you're making about whether to run? I mean, obviously, all respect didn't go so well last time. What is the calculation rolling forward from the last experience as you think about running this? You're time? really kind. Thank you. To say that, that it didn't go well. Didn't go well. Was, well, I mean, you, you know, obviously you're making a calculation based on experience and, and opportunity. Yeah. Here's what I think is um, an observation. I, I went through a very humbling and a very frustrating uh, process yep. in 2011, 2012. I learned uh, some 
very, for me, very harsh lessons, uh, least of which was not you, you must be very uh, physically fit, mentally fit, uh, if you're going to run for the presidency of the United States, because it is, I don't care how many times you run for the governor of Texas. It's a big stage, but it's not that big, right? How good yep. you think you are. Yep. Uh, it is a different process. Different deal. And uh, more importantly than the, the physical health is the preparation. And you were not prepared adequately? I was not, I was not prepared. Uh, and it was obvious. And the preparation part of this takes literally years. And I may or may not run for the presidency. But I know to give myself the option of doing that, you have to spend the time in preparation. Put in the work. You have to do the work that is required. Uh, you know, you look back over the course of, of history, and, and on the Republican side anyway, uh, I think since Eisenhower, there's been uh, the individuals that we have nominated have done it more than once. Um, and it's, I think it's part of that process of preparation uh, that, that puts a person in the position to be able to do it. So I made a decision two years ago yep. that if, if I were going to do this again, one of the reasons I would decide not to would not be because I was not prepared. Wasn't prepared. Might be other reasons, but there might be other not, reasons. But not that. And, and, I, and, I haven't, and I haven't made the decision. I know you don't blame me. Yeah. Um, if Ted Cruz runs, would that be a disincentive in any way for you to run? I, I, I think trying to decide who the candidates are going to be in, in 2016 is probably an interesting process to sit here around Tribfest and go back and forth. But, um, but I, you know what I'm asking? I'm asking you is if he got in the race, yeah, would it in I any way exactly change your... I what Would it change your... <laughs> would it change your You thinking? made yourself abundantly clear. Did I really? Okay. Well, but my focus is on... The next 45 days. That's it. There's 36 governorships uh, across this country. Rick Scott, who's a, a dear personal friend and a professional friend and a great competitor, I might add. You're doing some, in town. some campaigning for him. Yeah, right? he was in town uh, this last week. Uh, you know, Scott Walker's got a real race. And, uh, Nikki Haley. I mean, there's there's 36 governors races across the country. I'm on the executive committee of the RGA, so uh, I'm actively engaged in helping those governors. Uh, and we've got the United States Senate. Uh, in balance. So uh, actually how those races go are ultimately going to have a substantial impact on 2016. On your decision or on the race itself? I think on, on everybody's decision. I mean, I, I think it's very, very important that you take care of the business at hand. And the business at hand is 36 governorships, United States Senate, obviously yeah. Congress as well. So that's where my focus will be over the next 45 days. Once we get that behind us, then I may start looking further down the road. Okay. We're going to open it up to questions in a second, so if you have questions, line up. Last question is, leaving aside the question of you running, what is the opportunity for a Republican rolling out of eight years of this administration to mount a campaign for the White House? What is the intellectual framework for either a campaign you might run or somebody else might run? In brief, what is the, what is the, uh, the selling proposition yeah. for a Republican campaign? Well, juxtapositioning uh, this this administration and, uh, you know, obviously uh, the economic um, condition that the country finds itself in. And this, this, this is a pretty telling, um, although this Chart. is, can you get that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, th th this isn't just. May as well work it while you've got this, it. That's this fine. Isn't, 
but you know the yeah. point is, from an economic standpoint, a lot of Americans don't think this country is on the right track, um, and I think the the individual, um, whoever he or she may be, that are out talking about the future of this country, uh, who catches the imagination of uh, uh, of America and, and uh, allows them the um, the real and true chance that there's hope for a better future is the, you know, a person who's going to have a real leg up. And so, uh, you know, I think what we've done here in the state of Texas, um, I get it, everybody in the country doesn't want to be a Texan, but I think they do want to have a job to take care of their family. I think they do want to have the, uh, uh, the, the, the freedom to live their life as, as, as they see fit. And, 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 and Washington... I think anyone who can say that uh, Washington can be as inconsequential in your life as it can be uh, may be a person who creates some buzz and Succeed, succeeds in, in a race and vision. So good. I think that's an interesting way to put it. We'll now go to questions. I'm going to go back forth, back forth for as long as we have time. I apologize if I don't get to your question. Questions, not speeches, please, sir. Yeah. Uh, Governor Perry, you cite as a reason for not expanding uh, Medicaid here in Texas, uh, you know, the reasons of, uh, you know, uh, strings from the federal government and uh, you, you wanting more flexibility. Um, why have other Republican governors in, in this country been able to uh, make it work for their states, even though they're 10th Amendment loving GOP governors like Jan Brewer and Brewer. Brian Sandoval? Etc. You, you've heard this question before. What's the, what's the yeah. answer to why they can do it and you can't? Uh, the the answer is that's the beauty of our fifty states and the concept of of, of the Tenth Amendment that I think is really important. That um, I made the statement that one of the reasons that uh, not only myself but the legislature um, overwhelmingly supported not expanding Medicaid was because of the cost that were going to be associated with it. And, and I think that's really the, the real driver until Washington respects the states to make the, uh, the best decisions. We were in a, um, there were, I don't know, close to 35 or 40 governors at a uh, meeting with the president in the spring of, um, I, I think the spring of, of, of 2013. Uh, it, it could have been this last spring again, but again, and the conversation went to, why not allow the states the flexibility to implement these these programs? Uh, is to, is to take those dollars that uh, uh, the or the states that's, that's our money, and and allow the states to decide how to better implement those programs. And the president basically said, "I don't trust you." And and that's that's a very definitive differentiation between yeah. the president's philosophy. And well, you don't trust him are. either, right? I don't trust the governor, or excuse me, I don't trust the, 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 the president to um, make decisions for Texas from the standpoint of their health care yeah. or their education policies. You know, I'm sorry, but I, I don't think um, Washington, D.C., a president or a bureaucrat for that matter, needs to be deciding those policies for these very 50 diverse states. Hi, 
My name is Sam. I'm a student here at UT. Uh, Governor, yesterday there was a panel titled What to Do with Dreamers. Um, since 2001, when you signed the Texas Dream Act, uh, it has been under attack. Texas Dreamers have been under attack. And we've seen that manifested at this very institution in UT's campus climate. Do you still support in-state tuition? And why has Dan Patrick and why have Republicans moved away from good common sense policies? This was a big part of the 2012 race. You're saying that people who didn't support in-state tuition heartless, you got booed at that debate. Yeah, it was probably a poor uh, use of, of, of the term. Have you moved, but, to the uh, questioner's point, have you moved to believe this should be overturned? No. Um, no. I, I, think George, I think George P. gave a really good answer yesterday, uh, who, by the way, is a very bright, capable, uh, it's going to be uh, fun to watch him uh, grow in office and, and uh, but I thought his answer was very reflective I thought it was correct and until someone comes up with a better solution to this issue because what we have to remember is the reason we had to address this as a state was because the federal government's total and abject failure of securing our border with Mexico and so we don't have the luxury of um, doing anything other than addressing this. And in 2001, members of the legislature, they debated it, they talked about it, and they came to the conclusion that we had some options, and the option they chose was to in the best economic interest in the state of Texas is that young people who were here, by no fault of their own, in the great, you know, um, in the, in, matter of fact, I would suggest in probably every case that decision wasn't made by a six-year-old that we're going to go to uh, the state of Texas to, yeah. um, so I go to the University of Texas. Right. But economically, what was in the best interest in the state of Texas was to give these young people the opportunity to be givers rather than takers, to be uh, a constructive part of this society. And that's what we did overwhelmingly. I mean, it was, I think there were out of 181 votes, there were only five dissenting votes when that uh, was taken. So, but again, Legislature can have that conversation, and, and uh, but on the but were you to run for president again, and the opportunity came up to talk about this, you may choose different words, but you would still support in-state tuition out in the world. Yes, and, and if you for, were for, for, for the state of Texas, for state Texas, for the state of Texas, and if you were booed, I wouldn't say that they were matter. heartless. I would say I hope I can explain to you why economically in 2001 this was the right thing for the state of Texas to do. I still think in 2001 it was the right thing to do in the state of Texas. But it, it, it does bring And you us, think it's the right thing to do for the state of Texas I think it still brings us to the point of the federal government is being an abject failure in securing this border. And for the safety of the people of the state, you know, we've, we've, we've been on the stage for nearly an hour, and you didn't ask me what I consider to be one of the biggest issues that I've been engaged with in possibly my entire um, political career, and that is making the decision to send Texas law enforcement and Texas National Guard to do the constitutional duty of the federal government, and that is to secure the border. And 
when you see the criminal events that have occurred by individuals who have penetrated our border, for instance, Maria Vega's son was killed in front of her, he's a border patrol agent, killed in front of his family. When you see the number of criminal activities that people who have penetrated into this state and this country illegally, it is incredibly frustrating that the federal government will not respect its constitutional responsibility to secure the border. I, I put my hand on the Bible and held my hand up and said that I would protect and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States. And that's what I'm doing. Uh, hi, my name is Patrick. I'm a freshman here at the University of Texas. I just want to say really quickly, I really appreciate um, Governor you're really just a man of the heart and a man of the people, a man that really stands up for what he believes in. So my question for you is, is, question, please. Yeah, my question for you is, um, where do you find the motivation or I guess the inspiration to, even while there's problems such as insufficient funds for, you know, Hispanic kids that can't speak English or overcrowding in schools or insufficient funds to compensate teachers, or continued unfunded mandates from Austin. Come on, come on. Where do you find the motivation? Is it a good bowl of oatmeal that gets you to slash funds for education? Question, please. What's your motivation? Forget it. Over here. Okay. Governor Perry, do you think it's fair to shift the responsibility of your two felony felony indictments to another individual rather than uh, take responsibility for yourself? I will uh, recommend you to all of those articles that have been written in the newspapers to... uh, uh, find your answer. Sir. As a millennial, the 2016 presidential election will probably be one of the most impactful of my life. And I believe that we're going to need a uniter to come in and really bring together the nation. And so I'm curious, what do you feel your message and your policies should be? And, and what have you learned in your governorship um, to unite people like my friends, and just really quickly, if I can say, people like homosexuals. Not to like, be addressing 2016, but let me share with you what I see as uh, good characteristics for whoever the individual may be uh, that's going to take the White House uh, or step into the White House yes. in 2017. Uh, is someone who's actually had experience of uh, dealing uh, with... Uh, governing, dealing with running something big. I think it's important. Executive experience. Executive experience in some form or fashion. And, and, and bringing Democrats and Republicans together, I know, you know we, we heard that out of uh, uh, presidents in the past, that they were going to be uh, bringing people together. I think the and, phrase exactly was, a, a uniter, not a divider. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to, to, to daily get up and, and, and to do that. And, and, you know, we've been able to, to do it here in the state of Texas over 30 years. Some in the audience may not remember that uh, I started my political career as a Democrat. You did. You, you think you've done a good job of working with Democrats over the last 14 years? I think you need to go ask those Democrats. But from my perspective, I have, I have asked them. That's and, why I'm asking you. Well, I suspect that you will. I suspect that you will get uh, various and sundry uh, answers to that. But I'll give you an example. One of the most liberal Democrats, uh, who you know, I've vetoed her bills, but we've also found places we could work yeah. together. And I'm talking about Sinfronia Thompson. Sinfronia is probably one of the second, second or third, longest uh, tenured right? tenured 
And what we've done together on sexually trafficked um, individuals in the state of Texas has been pretty stunning. Yep. I mean, I've worked with Democrats, um, and, and they've been great partners. Uh, they have worn me out about things as well. But that's, we've always done it in a, in a civil, in a thoughtful, and a respectful, respectful way. way. And I think respecting the other side, and, and, and I think that's the, the important part of this, is that we send messages that we don't condemn people. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, John 3.16, what it says. A lot of people don't get, or a lot of people don't remember what 3.17 says. And it says that Jesus came in the world not to condemn people. And I think it's really important for us as a people uh, to uh, be reminded of that on a regular basis. Ma'am. Good afternoon, Governor Perry. Um, uh, my name is Melissa Young. I'm from Houston. Today I heard you talk about anti-regulations and pro-access. However, my question is, why did you side with those who voted HB2 the, regarding the ambulatory surgical center regulations that caused so many healthcare clinics to close down mm -hmm. and prevent access to so many men, women, Hispanic, Latinos, and okay, people. Okay, we have that. We have the question. Can you yeah. can you talk about your logic? Thank you. Can we talk about your the, the thought behind uh, HB two? And then that's going to have to be the last yeah. question before the governor cycles. Uh, clearly, a uh, the the will of the, of the Texas legislature, which I agree with, uh, that it is a state's right uh, to put. Uh, particular types of, of uh, um, considerations into place, to put rules and regulations into place, uh, to make, a, uh, um, to make a, a clinic be as safe uh, as, a, uh, as a hospital. And, and uh, you know, I was, it was interesting that when Joan Rivers um, and, and the procedure that she had done where she died, uh, that was a clinic. And I was just, you know, it's, it's a curious thought that if, if uh, they had had that type of uh, uh, regulations in place, uh, whether or not that individual would be still alive. But I think it's important for us as a people to understand that we're, we're a very diverse country. And there are going to be, um, you know, there, there are going to be rules and regulations put into place that you don't agree with. Uh, and one of the beauties of, of, of this country is that, uh, you know, we meet, we have uh, open discussion back and forth, and then at the end of the day, uh, we go on about our business and by and large, civilly and respectfully respect those decisions. So to the people who would say, as this questioner appears to, um, you've made the state less hospitable for people who view the world as I do, on this issue, you would say what? I would say we've made this, this state a, a safe place, uh, is what I would say. I think that's the, uh, at, at the, at its base, yep. the decisions were made to make this a safer place, and that's what we did. And if somebody didn't like it? Come back to the legislature in January and right. change the law. This is why elections have consequences, right? Th indeed they do. Good. Good place to end. Please join me in thanking Governor Rick Perry. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Thank you, Governor.